0: up guys welcome back to the dynasty stock market today i am joined by Corey. how you doing man
1: doing good man uh i'm not i haven't been on a dynasty video in a long time because people got mad at me because all i do is talk about next year because i'm a very short-term focused dynasty player so understand the advice i give i weighed the, the next year like 2020 this year a lot heavier than a lot of people because i think people try and get cute with dynasty football and they're like oh but like Remember Kareem Hunt last year was going to be a top five running back at this time because he was going to go to a new team and get a big contract like none of us know jack shit so I like to focus short term but anyway that was a long winded answer I'm doing good.
0: That's awesome man no I'm pumped to have you on here because you know me like I'm big into dynasty I'm so glad that I'm able to kind of bring that out on the channel and everything like that. Um, and I'm pretty pumped just to finally get on a video with you. You know, we haven't really done anything together yeah. yet. So definitely excited to get you on here. And uh, we got a pretty exciting episode for this one too. So, and and this is a topic that I feel like is often overlooked in the dynasty community. And that's going to be buying low on veteran players. So it's like, there's this narrative out there where as soon as a player hits past their quote unquote prime or or passes age 30 or something, all of a sudden they are, completely useless like what 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 do you think about that
1: yeah and i mean this is probably a good episode that you had me on for because i'm in win now mode all the time in dynasty these are the type of players i'm after like i did a startup a couple months ago and i got edelman in like the 13th round and i actually like laughed my ass off i'm like yeah he's only good for maybe like one or two more years but like you seriously think like i don't know mike williams is going to be as relevant as julian edelman for that much time like I don't know like certain players people just hype up because of age and age should be like a, to me it's like it should be a tiebreaker it shouldn't be like the reason someone's ADP is high and the prime example of that to me is Sam Darnold like everyone's favorite argument for Sam Darnold is like he's still so young it's like yeah but he hasn't really proved anything like I don't know and, and I'm all for projecting players forward but it's not like he's in the most favorable situation or anything.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's there's a time to to buy low on your young guys, and I guess Sam Darnold would be a decent example of that because, you know, he hasn't hit his prime yet. You can probably get him for cheaper than you could a couple of years ago when he was first entering the league. Um, but, yeah, so I want to get into the veterans, and the first one on my mind, the first one probably on everyone's mind, is going to be Julio Jones. Um, you know, he is obviously past the age of 30, yet he is still consistently being a top three top five kind of receiver Um, you know I I have seen so so many people on Twitter are just like oh it's time to sell Julio it's time to part ways with Julio I've seen him go in like the fourth or fifth rounds of dynasty startups lately and I'm just like what the hell is going on he is like it is almost impossible for this man not to finish as a top five receiver if he's healthy Um, what what's going on with people's minds why are they thinking this way
1: I don't know. And I just looked this up just now. So is Julio 31 right now. Is that how old he is? Yeah. I'm just looking. If you sold Terrell Owens at 31, I'm just seeing how many years you would have missed out on. He had th- four seasons after he turned 31 where he was a t- like, he had over a thousand yards and like eight plus touchdowns. So, and don't no one come at me saying Julio Jones is not as good as Terrell Owens. Cause he's better in my opinion. So yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think like they're like, they're like hall of fame caliber receivers. Like Julio Jones is a freak of nature. He is not like the typical, like old oh, wide receivers, like fall off after their age 30 season. Like, no, he's a freak. Like he could play as long as he wants to in the NFL. And me and you are both fans of, of teams in the NFC South. So we know how destructive Julio Jones can be. Um, I'm literally, as long as Julio Jones is on a football field with Matt Ryan, he's pretty much a lock for 1,400 yards. Like, I, I, I really don't care how expensive he is. And if he's going to keep falling, I'm going to keep picking him.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And like you said, you know, all he needs is a matchup against the Bucks or the Panthers, and he'll go off for 200 yards and two scores <laughs> any given Sunday. Um, but, yeah, so his, his ADP is currently in the late second to early third. Uh, like I said, I have seen plenty of drafts where he I got has him in the falling. fifth in a startup. Exactly. There's plenty of drafts out there where he is falling uh, way too far. Um, His ADP is the equivalent to the wide receiver, somewhere between the wide receiver 10 and the wide receiver 13, which means that there are people out there in their crazy minds that are picking him as a wide receiver two for their team, even though he's a top five guy. Like I, I cannot stress it enough that Julio Jones is still a top five guy and he's going to be a top five guy for at least the next two or three seasons. And yeah. let's, let's face it, in Dynasty, most, as much as you want to plan for the future, you can't plan for three, four years down the road. Dynasty is like you, you got a two to three year window where you can realistically kind of predict what's going on. And I think anyone in their right mind can predict that Julio Jones has at least another two seasons of elite level play in him. So, uh, y- you know, um, if, according to, to trade calculators and everything like that, which I am not one of those people that can follow a trade calculator religiously. Um, I, I don't find almost any of them to be really accurate. Uh, I, I, I try to stay away, but just for an example, the, in the trade calculator, you can buy Julio Jones for pick number twelve overall in a rookie draft right now, which is just That's gross. Which is just absurd. You know, ten out of ten times, I would rather have Julio Jones than the twelfth overall rookie. Um, so you, you know, I, I, if, if you're if you want. Go after Julio Jones in your league if you don't have him, especially if the team who has him is rebuilding and is going to take close attention to that false narrative that, oh, Julio Jones is done after this year. Um, it, it is the perfect time to go out and buy him because if you're a contender, Julio Jones will a thousand percent push you over the edge of where you need to be.
1: Yeah. And as much as we love guys like AJ Brown and I mean, even DJ Moore to an extent, I love DJ Moore though, so I'm not going to put him in this category, but like, guys like AJ Brown and Cortland Sutton and Kenny Galladay and like these guys that are ascending talents, obviously you're hoping you get two to three seasons of what Julio Jones is going to give you the next two years. Like AJ Brown's a stud, but like, there's a chance he he's capped at a certain point because he plays in a run heavy offense and yada, yada, yada. You guys know all the uh, arguments against AJ Brown, but like Julio Jones is a locked and loaded wide, like top five receiver for as long as he's on the field. His offense for the foreseeable future is going to throw 600 plus times until they get a competent defense in there, probably fire Dirk Cutter at some point, but they're going to throw one of the highest clips in the red zone. They're going to, they're going to have an ineffective run game at least this year with Todd Gurley. He has an elite connection with his quarterback and he's never had less than like 160 targets in an NFL season. If he actually one year finally gets more than like five touchdowns, he's going to be the wide receiver one. Oh, easy.
0: And, and you know what? That happens every single year Julio Jones always starts off. He'll either start off really hot with the touchdowns or he'll end really hot in the touchdowns. But there's always this massive chunk of the season where he'll have zero to one touchdowns over the course of like five weeks. And it's just the most infuriating thing. But at the same time, you're still getting those six, seven, eight, nine catches for almost hundred yards every single game. And it's like, how can, how can you fade him? So Julio Jones is going to be the number one player on my list probably on Corey's list and hopefully yep. on everyone's list. Julio Jones should be the number one by low veteran player to go out and get right now. Um, sure. Second one I'm going to bring up. We'll actually switch to the quarterbacks. I, I wanted to start off at the quarterback, but I, just, I get so carried away when I start thinking of Julio Jones being bought for so cheap. I had to bring it up, yeah. um, but I'm going to bring up Ryan Tannehill and I'm, I'm a much bigger fan on Ryan Tannehill than a lot of people are. And I think that kind of shows in his current ADP. So in Dynasty Startups, Ryan Tannehill's going in the 12th round. Uh, as you mentioned, that Tennessee offense, sure, they're a bit run heavy. Um, but if you look at the time that Ryan Tannehill took over for Tennessee, he was actually the number 10 overall quarterback in terms of points per game, um, even though he's being thought of as a mid-quarterback two right now. Um, you also have to throw in the fact that he's really not that old right now, and he's actually under contract with Tennessee until the end of 2023. Um, so it, the, the fact that he is being universally faded kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit. I mean, sure. It's just one season. Um, you know, he never really showed a ton of fantasy relevancy in Miami aside from garbage points here and there, but he looked genuinely really, really good in Tennessee. And you got to think that they're going to take on hopefully at least a, a bit more of a balanced approach this year, especially since they're going to want to pre- preserve Derek Henry on his big contract um what are you what are your thoughts on ryan tanhill you think he's a good buy low vet
1: yeah i think this this wasn't i don't think it was a fluke to be honest like ryan tanhill looking as good as he was and the the regression nazis are going to tell you that his touchdown rate has to go down and his yards per attempt was like i'm pretty sure he had like one of the greatest yards per attempt like uh combined with like passer rating of all time or something so he's probably not going to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time again uh this season but um I mean, he can carry the ball too. Like that's an underrated part of his game. He had four rushing touchdowns last year. And part of the late round quarterback appeal and all these, like the guys that we like at, at that level is guys that are mobile. Right. And Tannehill can actually run. And I'm like, you mentioned it, when you look at his efficiency metrics last year, he's number one in passer rating, number one in play action percentage, which when you have Derrick Henry, as your running back, <laughs> the play action game is probably going to work pretty well. And I'm pretty sure it's going to continue that way. And I know our, uh, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator in Tennessee last year, it was his first season as the play caller and man, did he, he didn't disappoint at all. I think he's going to be a hot head coaching candidate, which is a little bit worrisome for Tannehill long-term if, if Arthur Smith, um, gets a head coaching job. Cause we know what happened, like, you know, Kyle Shanahan in, in Atlanta and all that stuff when your hot, young offensive coordinator gets a, a new job. Sometimes you, uh, lose some of the magic of the offense, but either way, man, he was great from a clean pocket from a, a a pressured pocket. Like he was just good in general. And him going as like a mid QB two, if you're playing in a super flex league, I'm sure he's going higher than the 12th round. But if he's going in the range of like guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk cousins and guys that really don't have that much of a ceiling, he's definitely the type of guy I'd be targeting.
0: Yeah. He's fantastic. And especially in those one quarterback leagues, you know, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people where I will never draft a quarterback early in one quarterback leagues. I don't care if Pat Mahomes falls to me in the third. I don't care if Lamar Jackson falls to me in the fourth. I just can't do it um, because there is so much talent to wait on. Like, for example, if I can get Ryan Tannehill as the 16th or 17th quarterback off the board, I don't have to grab him until the 12th or 13th round. Well, I just got all the depth out of the way. Sure, maybe I drafted a quarterback in the 10th or 11th as well, um, but it's, it's just To to me, that is the perfect thing to go for in these one quarterback leagues. You go for those later round guys with the upside that have the proven, um, you know, history. And we can take that from Ryan Tannehill's 2019 showing. So it's, like I said, I have a hard time buying into quarterbacks at ridiculously high prices. So I think Ryan Tannehill is a guy that you can go out there, you can get him, probably for pennies right now, honestly, especially in a one quarterback league. There aren't many people that are like, oh, yeah, Ryan Tannehill is going to be my dynasty quarterback for the next however many years. I can confidently say that in my main dynasty league, Ryan Tannehill and Matt Ryan are my two starting fantasy quarterbacks for the next two to five years, and I'm perfectly content with it because, you know what, while I have those guys, I don't need to worry about wasting my rookie picks. I don't need to worry about trading or anything like that, I can go with my running backs and my wide receivers where the actual importance is in those one quarterback leagues. And I'm going to, I'm just going to fade that position. I'm going to buy my Ryan Tannehill low and I'm going to be happy with it.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I actually, uh, from the super flex side of things, he, like I said, I think he's one of the best targets to have as your QB two because uh, in all the super flex startups I've done, quarterbacks just come off like hotcakes. And if you, if you get in on the end of those runs, it's really not worth your time. And it's, it's usually good to get to stack two of those kind of guys like the Tannehills or the Minshews or guys that are kind of going in that QB 16 to 22 range, which where, which is where Tannehill is going. So the, he's definitely the type of quarterback I target. I actually don't play in any one quarterback dynasty league, so I can't really speak to how the one quarterback dynamic works. I only play in super flex ones, but he's definitely a target of mine regardless.
0: Yeah, he's, he's fantastic, and I'm hoping that 2019 wasn't a fluke. As you were saying, I mean, the efficiency was just off the charts with him, so am I expecting the exact same thing? Absolutely not, but I I would still expect at least back-end QB1 numbers, which in a, in a one-quarterback league, if you're prioritizing your runners and your wide receivers over that, I mean, all you need is a quarterback that's going to come in and be serviceable for you each week, and I think that's what you'll get in Ryan Daniel. For sure. Uh, so moving on, I'm going to talk about – Uh, a tight end, and that's going to be Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, It's probably not surprising anyone that Zach Ertz is landing on this list of veteran players to buy low, Um, but I feel like I have to bring him up because there is this false narrative that Zach Ertz is no longer the tight end that he once was, even though he literally just finished as the tight end number two overall uh, in the entire league (laughs) fantasy. but his, his value is decreasing at an absolutely absurd rate. You know, like he is, he just finished as the top two tight end, as I just said. There is little doubt in my mind that he won't finish up at least a top five guy for this season. The main worry is people are so concerned with Dallas Goddard coming in and the passing of the baton and whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know if everyone knows this or not, but both Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard coexisted as top eight fantasy tight ends last year. So it's like, I don't understand where that's coming from. Sure, Zach Ertz might start to decline eventually, but he's 30 years old. Actually, I think he's 29 right now. He'll be 30 uh, during the season. So it's like, I don't really understand where it's coming from because the, the pass catcher role in the NFL, the prime, the prime age is going to be somewhere between 27 and 31, which Zach Ertz is obviously still very much in. He is still the highest targeted player on this Philadelphia Eagles offense. And he definitely has the trust of Carson Lentz, all the coaches, everything like that. Uh, there's no reason to believe that he's going to be traded, at least not this season, even though those trade rumors have been brought up every year for the last three seasons now. Um, you know, I just, this is one of those ones where I, I can't wrap my head around it because he is, he's like the Julio Jones of the tight end position. You know, he's so consistent. He's so incredible for fantasy, yet people fade him left and right. Um, what do you make of Zach Ertz?
1: You mentioned Dallas Goddard with Zach Ertz and you talked about the 12 personnel. They ran it as their base offense last year. It was over 50% of the time that they ran 12 personnel. And even with Dallas Goddard there, Ertz had 134 targets, which was number two at the position. And in 2018, the other season that Dallas Goddard has been there, he had 156 targets, which was number one at the position that year. Like the, uh, I know the objection for everyone about Zach Ertz is that he's only been, like he's been the only option in the passing game the past couple of years but he still is the only option there. Like Deshaun Jackson's fun for week one when he, before he gets hurt and Marquise Goodwin just opted out. Jalen Rager's a rookie. Alshon Jeffrey's going to be on the pop list to start the season. Like it's probably still going to only be Zach Ertz this year.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. There's the, the, the narrative is just absurd. I mean, Zach Ertz's dynasty ADP right now is midway through the fifth round. Meanwhile, Granted, I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie, he does not have the same dynasty value as George Kittle, but he's not monumentally behind Travis Kelsey. And Travis Kelsey is going in the early to mid second rounds of those exact same drafts. You know, sure, do I like Travis Kelsey more on paper? Absolutely. But I wouldn't take him three rounds above where I would take Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is not that far behind from those top two tight ends. So especially if you're looking for, I don't even want to say short-term suggestions because Zach Ertz legitimately is going to put up these numbers for another two to three years at least. Um, And I I, I think you definitely have to go out, do your due diligence, and see what it would take for you to get Zach Ertz on your team. Um, Like like last year, Zach Ertz, he had – what was it? He had 217 points last year in PPR. As a tight end, he would have been equal – to the overall wide receiver wide receiver 17 um, in 2019. So, and and having that type of production at the tight end spot is absolutely ridiculous. You know, you're getting a top 20 wide receiver in that one little itty bitty spot on your on your roster where most people are getting like 130 to 140 points on the entire year. Zach Ertz can give you 220. And the year before that, as you were saying, he was so highly targeted, he was so effective. He had 256 points. year before that which would have been a top 10 receiver last year so it's just it's just mind blowing that he is falling so so far already like I I don't know where his value is going to be this time next year it's probably going to be even farther down but I will say it's probably going to stabilize a bit once people are reminded how good he is over this season so I think if you're going to buy low on Zach Ertz you got to do it before 2020 starts
1: a tight end premium league too i know tight end premium leagues like some people don't like them because they just further elevate like the top guys but Ertz is definitely the type of guy that gets elevated by a tight end premium league is if he's getting a full point per reception while the rest of uh wide receivers and running backs are getting half points or whatever like he's just going to be incredible for uh for your lineup and if you can flip a younger asset like tj hawkinson for example who hasn't really proved much thus far in his career but people are really high on him from a dynasty perspective if you're in a win now mode and you flip TJ Hawkinson for Zach Ertz in a tight end premium, like that's probably going to pay off real well for you. Oh yeah. That'd be a fantastic move to do. Uh,
0: but I know you have a, you have a tight end that you want to bring up too for the bylaw vet. So who you got?
1: Yeah. So I actually was really shocked. I didn't intend on bringing this guy up, but when I went through the ADPs, Darren Waller's going off as the tight end eight. I was like, what the, f-? like I, I went to in my head, I'm like, okay, how many boxes does Darren Waller check? So he breaks out last year. He's a breakout player. Check. He has great rapport with his quarterback check. He gets the bag. He got extended. He got a, uh, I don't remember exactly the details of the contract, but he's one of the highest paid tight ends in the league now. So check. Uh, He's in a scheme that highlights his, his set tremendously. If we remember Jared cook in 2018, before Darren Waller was there, Jared cook had like probably his best season of his career in Oakland. And then he now has, I know there's more options there in the offense now, but there's two field stretchers in the off uh, in the offense that are going to make Darren Waller's job easier. Ruggs and Tyrell Williams and, uh, along with some of the other guys make the job of the tight end a lot easier. Cause all that underneath, um, all the underneath concepts are open for Darren Waller and everyone knows check down car loves underneath concepts. So I, I was just a little bit shocked that Darren Waller was going behind guys like TJ Hawkinson, and guys like Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram, because while we like all those guys and they're young, uh, they're younger than Darren Waller and we, we like their potential, None of them are like, we're hoping that they become Darren Waller. Like Darren Waller's already that player and he's only 27. It's not like he's like 20, like even Zach Ertz's age. Like, it's not like he's Zach Ertz's age and he's just like a, oh, he's like a veteran. And he he also doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires, so to speak, because he he dealt with personal issues. So he hasn't taken a lot of hits.
0: Yeah. And going back to kind of what you said with Zach Ertz, how a lot of people are saying, oh, well, he's just the only guy on the offense. That's kind of still the same situation as Darren Waller. I mean, sure. They got rugs. Ruggs is going to be an awesome, you know, down the field kind of guy, but he's not going to take any of like the legitimate short work away from Darren Waller. Darren Waller is still going to be the biggest red zone target for Derek Carr on that entire team. Um, It's really hard to imagine that his volume dips really at all. And I, I know there, there are some people out there that are legitimately worried about Jason Witten coming in and being a threat to Darren Waller's tight end targets. And the answer to that is just no. That's, that's not going to happen. Like, like sure, Jason Witten is going to take some looks on the team, but Darren Waller is not going to drop substantially in targets. Is there a possibility that he'll drop a little bit? Sure. But it's not like he's going to drop outside of that top five tight end workload that we saw last year. That's going to keep going. He built an incredible rapport uh, with Derek Carr in 2019. And as you were as you were saying, the, the tight end eight, is just absurd for a guy that finished you know top three, top four in the position last year. He was
1: so tight end three, like in, in rankings.
0: That's fantastic. Exactly. So it's like how how are you fading him that much? Like how how is how is he going that far down? How did Zach Ertz finish number two and he's going in the fifth round? Like the 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 mindset on this on these tight ends is just mind-blowing you, you know what I mean like as you were saying everyone wants TJ Hawkinson because he's going to be the next big thing everyone wants Noah Font because he showed promise last year and he could be the next big thing well Darren Waller showed that he was the next big thing last year and he's going to continue on with that this year I just I, I, I don't understand it and I could not agree more with you that he is a guy that you have to go out and get at the, at the tight end position
1: yeah, that like the biggest thing I want to hammer home is T.J. Hawkinson, Hunter Henry, and Evan Ingram. We want them to be what Darren Waller already is. Don't put the cart before the horse. I don't like picking players like I know uh, Lucas is a big fan of Keenan Allen and redraft this year. We're picking guys ahead of Keenan Allen that we're hoping become Keenan Allen. Like I I don't like picking players that have upside and potential over players that also have upside and potential but have already done it. Like it, yeah. it just to me it doesn't make any sense. It's not like Darren Waller's over the hill and he can't play anymore like he literally just had his first like breakout season
0: yeah exactly you, you want a guy that has kind of proven it already and i i can't think of a better tight end that really proved it in 2019 well maybe mark andrews but he's not yeah. too old yet but darren waller proved it in 2019 he showed us what he can do and he's going to continue it in 2020 um next guy i want to bring up is actually a running back baltimore ravens uh mark ingram so i am this time a year ago, if you asked me about Mark Ingram, I would have told you I cannot stand him. I don't want him on my fantasy team. I, I was like the biggest Mark Ingram hater on, on Twitter. Like I would not agree with anyone. Even over the first like three or four weeks, I was like, nah, it's a fluke. It's a fluke. It's a fluke. Come on. And he just kept doing it over and over and over again in Baltimore. And now all of a sudden, sure, they drafted J.K. Dobbins, but people are just fading Mark Ingram to oblivion. Um, He is like a mid to late eighth round pick in Dynasty and he still has at least one to two years of good football in him. He's got two years left on his contract. I believe there's an opt out after this year. So we'll see how the whole Ingram versus Dobbins thing goes. But Ingram just had an incredibly efficient season and that Baltimore offense is set up to sustain something like that. Like, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he tied running backs for the most receiving touchdowns um, in 2019, and he was not a ridiculously targeted running back. You know, he was just incredibly efficient with what he did. Um, So I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say he's going to finish as an RB1 again like he did in 2019, but he's still likely going to finish as a top 20, top 22 kind of running back this year. Um, y- you know, he's he's going to see a downtick in volume on the ground because they are going to integrate J.K. Dobbins. But Mark Ingram, at the very least, is still going to be the 1A in this backfield if you're not counting Lamar Jackson. Um, and it's just, why wouldn't you want that on your team? Like, you can get him as even less cost than a than a flex option. You know, he's going to be one of those guys where you could put him weekly in your RB2 spot and he's going to be just fine at least for the next year or two so I I I know for dynasty you want to go with those younger guys you want to get the guys that have the long-term upside and everything like that but Mark Ingram is so ridiculously cheap right now and he just finished as a top 12 running back in PPR leagues
1: yeah and kind of similar to Darren Waller I, I I don't like projecting like more than a year or two out because especially with the running back position players change very quickly like Two years ago, Todd Gurley was like the first overall pick, if we think about it that way. And guys like, I know Ingram might be considered more of like a one-year rental, maybe two-year rental player for some uh, dynasty players, but so is Raheem Mostert, and he's going in the sixth round. Like, Raheem Mostert's like the same age as Mark Ingram, I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't know why Raheem Mostert's going two rounds ahead of him. And as far as like the Ravens situation goes, I've heard the argument like, oh, well, the Ravens were the run-heaviest offense in the league, but, like, so much of that went to Lamar Jackson. Okay, well, 592 attempts, 172 went to Lamar Jackson. That still leaves 420 carries for J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, like, whoever else is going to get carries. And he only had 202 last year, Mark Ingram. He only had 202 carries last year. If you give him 202 carries again this year, that leaves 218 carries for Dobbins, Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, whoever else is going to carry the football. Not to mention this year especially, and Ingram is is kind of like a win now player, obviously. So if you're a competing team and you can get Mark Ingram for like a, a mid second round rookie pick or something, there's no preseason. Like Mark Ingram is probably going to dominate this backfield for the first eight weeks of the season. Like he could be a top five running back in that time. I've mentioned in other videos how um, Ingram is going off the point uh, off the board to the point that he's like a flex starter for you, and his the schedule for the Ravens is just Completely mint. Like the teams that they play are terrible in the first couple weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for for Mark Ingram. And like you were saying, there's no preseason. So any team that has a rookie, with the exception of the Kansas City Chiefs, um, any team that has a rookie running back in in that backfield rotation, you gotta imagine it's gonna take them at least five, six, maybe even half the season to really come on and really kind of learn the offense and everything like that. And even if you're only getting legitimate you know top 15 top 20 production from Mark Ingram over the first half of the season guess what winning games over the first half of the season is what gets you to the playoffs you know and furthermore it's it's like People are not projecting a good season for J.K. Dobbins. People are still admitting, okay, yeah, like Mark Ingram is still the guy there. J.K. Dobbins is just going to kind of come along, learn it. You know, he's still – I think he's fully recovered from his, from his injury that he had last year. But he still has to come in. He still has to do his rehabbing, whatever. Um, yeah, how, I just don't understand how we could say, okay, J.K. Dobbins isn't really going to do much this year. But on the same side, say, oh, Mark Ingram's not going to do much. J.K. Dobbins is here. So it's like, you got to pick and choose your narratives. And I I really genuinely think that Mark Ingram is still going to be a very massive part of this offense for 2020. And he is one of my favorite by low veteran uh, running backs, because as you know, running backs are the hardest position uh, to really find a lot of consistency in from week to week. And given that Mark Ingram is a focal point on a really, really good football team, I think you're going to find some consistency there.
1: Yeah, for sure. As long like real fantasy football doesn't have to be hard sometimes. And the best offense in the league, the one team that scored the most points was the Ravens. Like just get pieces from that offense. Get pieces from the Chiefs' offense. Like it, it sometimes it's really not that hard, and, and we want to talk ourselves into guys like a guy that's going two rounds ahead of Mark Ingram, for example, who's obviously going ahead of him because of age, but Darius Geis. Like, give me Mark Ingram ten times out of ten over Darius Geis in oh, Dynasty. Yeah. I don't care that Darius Geis is younger, we're hoping, as I said for Waller, we're hoping Darius Geis becomes half of what Mark Ingram was last year.
0: Yeah, and here's the beautiful thing, too, that a lot of people don't really realize in their dynasty drafts. You're going to get your rookies next year. You are going to have an entire draft of young guys. You know, if you're someone that goes into a dynasty draft and you're picking purely veterans, okay, you might shoot yourself in the foot. But if you're one of those guys that goes in there with the mindset, okay, if the right veteran falls to me at the right time, I have to take him. And Mark Ingram in the eighth is a perfect example of that. Because guess what? Even if, hopefully you have a bottom three pick in your rookie draft next year, that means you did good. Um, But even with one of those picks, chances are you'll probably still be able to sneak a running back or maybe a top rated wide receiver. But the point is you get younger guys every year. So fading veterans in your startup just makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, I feel like sometimes dynasty players want to get into this utopia where, like, they never have to draft to, like, replenish their roster. They just want to be like, I have this sustainable team that's going to be so good for the next five years. It's like, that's not, that's not any fun. Like, you want to, like, have aging veterans on your team and replace them with rookies and have guys waiting in the wings to develop and take over starting jobs. Like, that's the fun of dynasty football. So I, the, the kind of mindset of taking only young players in the draft, like, I don't understand it it's not any fun
0: yeah but yeah so Mark Ingram a great guy to go out and buy low right now Uh, as Corey was saying even if you can get him for like a mid second round rookie pick I'd consider that a steal because you're going to get your top 20 even even if he's a top 25 running back this year you're still going to be pretty pumped when you start him Um, so moving on we got one more running back on here and that's actually going to be Le'Veon Bell So Le'Veon Bell is universally faded. I don't know if it's because of the age. I don't know if it's because he's with the New York Jets. I would imagine it's a combination of both of them because I totally get it. Um, But him falling all the way to the fourth round in uh, Dynasty Startups just seems a little weird to me. Um, So in 2019, he finished as a top 15 back in PPR. And it seems like everyone's already forgot about that or people just don't even acknowledge that, you know, like if you're a running back needy team, Le'Veon Bell could be a fantastic asset to go after, Um, you know, because you can get him for so cheap because a lot of people think that either his best days are behind him or, hey, screw it, he's a New York Jet. He's really not going to do much. You can capitalize on that. Like you don't have to spend a first round rookie pick to get Le'Veon Bell right now. I I I legitimately don't think that you have to do that. Um, And if you do, it's going to be a very low first round pick. I think you can combine some sort of package and and avoid the first round pick. But either way, Le'Veon Bell is a great guy um, to go after because at the very worst, he's going to produce high end RB2 numbers uh, fairly consistently. Uh, He's got the PPR upside. He's got low competition. Um, God only knows what the Jets are going to do. But you do know one thing, Le'Veon Bell is going to get used. So if you can go out and get him as a buy low kind of guy, you, you got to do it. Because even if, you're, even if you're just looking for a rental player, Le'Veon Bell is going to be there for, for a little while longer. He still has another three years left in him. Like, don't forget, he took an entire year off. And before he did that, he was a top three, a universal top three fantasy football pick. So it, his best days are are most definitely not behind him. All the, all they need to do they need to get that team to kind of get in sync a little bit. And if they do, you're going to be very
1: happy that you bought him up. I'm actually going to disagree with you here, uh, and more so on the startup side, because as a trade target, I do think Le'Veon Bell has less uh, value as like um a piece in a trade than he does as a startup. At the three ten, though man, that's, that's pretty high. I think I kind of look at Le'Veon Bell in a similar vein as Mark Ingram, to be honest. Like, I think he should go a little higher because he doesn't have JK Dobbins in his backfield, but uh, man, Austin Eckler is going eight picks behind Le'Veon Bell in startups. To me, that's disgusting. I don't think that should happen at all. Um, Le'Veon Bell, yes, he's still like the only guy in his backfield, but I do think there's some validity to the arguments because I've heard people make this argument against Le'Veon Bell that they don't necessarily want to give him all the work again. Like they they brought in LaMichael Pirine, who's terrible, but he's still a fourth round pick. Frank Gore, they brought in. They brought in, um, uh, didn't bring in someone else. I can't even remember. Anyway, I think when you're inefficient, like Le'Veon Bell was, he had number like the number four running back in terms of weighted opportunities in 2019. And he really didn't do much with it. Yes, he was a top 15 running back, but no one won their championship because they drafted Le'Veon Bell. So yeah, if you could trade for him, if you can get him for like a, like an early second round pick and like a prospect or something, I would do it if I'm a competing team. But in terms of like a, a late third round, early fourth round pick in a startup draft, I think I'm out on that price. I think Le'Veon Bell might have three years left on his contract in New York, but I, I, I'm almost willing to guarantee this is the last year in New York if he even makes it past the trade deadline. Uh,
0: see, I, I knew we would butt heads on one of them. I'm kind of glad it's Le'Veon Bell because he is the most – controversial guy on this list I feel like some people are going to agree with me some people are going to agree with you Um, I personally think the end of the third round beginning of the fourth round is a fantastic spot to land a guy like Le'Veon Bell I mean looking at his numbers last year he still had 245 attempts and he had 66 66 receptions Um, he had his lowest efficiency to date he had like 3.2 yards per carry last year and either just under seven or exactly seven yards per reception, which is not something that we've come to expect from Le'Veon Bell. And that's the thing. I'm treating last year as the outlier. I think that he does bounce back a little bit. Maybe he, you know, maybe he repeats again as as that exact same efficiency, but I really find it hard to believe that he loses volume. I really find it not in the realm of possibilities for him to see under, I'd say 220 attempts and at least 50 to 55 receptions, which even at that range with his efficiencies, as they currently are, he's still finishing as a, as a top 16, top 17 back. So, and, and getting your RB2 is typically what you want to do in round three or round four. Are there better picks in round three? Absolutely. But if Le'Veon Bell is one of those guys that falls to the fourth round, I think he's a steal there. And like I said, I don't think that you're going to have to part ways with a ton of assets to get him in a trade, which is why I have him uh, on this list because I have seen him go on Twitter for, for trades that didn't even involve a first round pick. And if you can get a guy that is in my opinion, guaranteed to be a top 16, top 17 finisher at the running back position, and you don't have to part ways with that first round pick. I think you, I kind of think you got to do it. Even if, I, there definitely is a possibility that he could be out of New York as soon as as soon as this year. But if you can get him for that low cost, even if he's a one year rental, he's gonna go to a team next year. You just don't know where. So it's, yeah. it's taking on a little bit of uncertainty. But I, I'd still be happy and do it.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm more I, like I'm a little bit never Gacy. Like I just like if Adam Gase is involved, I just don't want anything to do with it because That's a as fair much point. as. <laughs> As much as Frank Gore and, and LaMichael Pirine are not as good as Le'Veon Bell, Adam Gase might still give them work because Le'Veon Bell looked at him wrong in the in the locker room or something. Like shit just goes wrong with Adam Gase. And I I, I really wish someone did a study on this because I think it applies to Leonard Fournette as well. When when a, a running back's super inefficient in a season, because both Le'Veon Bell and Fournette got crazy volume and were just not efficient with it at all. I'm curious to know if, like, their volume went down the following year. Like, if the coaches uh, were like, okay, Le'Veon's clearly not the same player as he was in Pittsburgh. Let's try and ease up on his workload a little bit to keep him fresher or something. Like, I'd be curious to know if that's, like, the mindset of the coaches and if the data actually shows that. Because I do think it's possible that Bell and Fournette are not, like, the full-fledged workhorse Bell cows that they've been the last couple of years.
0: You know what, though? That's kind of cool because it gives us something to look forward to in 2020. Keep an eye on yeah. Le'Veon, keep an eye on Fournette, and while we're at it, we'll keep an eye on David Montgomery and see how that project goes.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: See if see if the volume stays king in year two. Um, but we'll move on from Le'Veon Bell. So this is a guy that I know we can both agree on. You brought him up right before we hopped on here, um, and that's Jarvis Landry. So I'll let you get into that first.
1: Yeah, Jarvis Landry literally outperforms his ADP every year. I could not find the tweet for the life of me. I was trying to pull it up, but someone tweeted it out. I can't remember if it was Ian Hartz or Curtis Patrick or something. They basically tweeted out his fantasy finishes and his ADP that year, like going into the season. And it was like 10 to 15 spots higher than his ADP every single year of his career. Like he just always outperforms his ADP. Everyone just goes, oh, Jarvis Landry, like no upside. Like he just has this stigma around him that he's not going to be like a league winner type receiver, which he probably isn't going to be, but like you need guys like that on your team. Like your team can't all be league winners because then half your team's probably going to bust if not more. So Jarvis has literally had 80 plus catches every single year of his career. He's a PPR machine. He's as as consistent as they come. And when you get someone this late, I didn't even mention his ADP. He's wide receiver 38 and he's a mid eighth round pick. So he's not going in starter range. He's not like your wide receiver two or your wide receiver three even really. He's usually a flex player or your wide receiver four. And realistically, the guys that you're getting in the range around him are guys like Mike Williams, A.J. Green, Nikhil Harry. Like those are the guys going directly ahead of him. And yes, some of those guys might have more upside than, than Jarvis Landry, but what is upside? His upside is top 15, Jarvis Landry. If he has a good season, he's going to be a top 15 PPR receiver because he's pretty much been one every year of his career. If Mike Williams is a top 15 receiver this year, everyone's going to say he had a breakout year, right? Like to me, it's just Jarvis Landry just has a stigma that he's never going to be a top five receiver. And that's probably true, but he also has a very high chance of being a top 15 receiver.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Jarvis Landry is one of my favorite by low guys right now. And for a while I was seeing his value kind of stabilize because, you know, there's a stigma with that him and Robert Woods share where it's yeah. like, okay, these guys are always underappreciated. When are we going to start to appreciate them? One guy says that. Two guys say that. Three guys say that. Suddenly the entire fantasy community starts saying it. But the cool thing about Jarvis Landry is that it still actually hasn't corrected. People can say it all they want, but no one is actually taking action on it. Plus, you take into consideration that Jarvis Landry is going to start the year potentially on the PUP list. Um, his value is is going to stay down. And as you were saying, if Jarvis Landry has a good year, he's a top 15 guy. If Jarvis Landry has a bad year, he's still a bottom wide receiver, two chilling in that 22 to 25 range. He is yep. always hyper-targeted. He was actually the most targeted player uh, in Cleveland last year, more than OBJ, and people just ignore it. And it's because he's – is he an exciting player? Not really. Does he make a fantastic catch here and there? Absolutely. But he's not statistically fun. He's not the Odell Beckham Jr. with these – crazy things going on on sunday he's just one of those guys he shows up he does his job and he leaves and like you were saying you need guys like that on your fantasy squad he is a legitimate wide receiver too for any fantasy team out there and the fact that you can get him in like the eighth round as the wide receiver 38 overall just absolutely blows my mind um plus he's pretty young what's he he's 27 years
1: old gotta be like 27 28 maximum like and I think, I almost wanted to say it's contagious when you were going off on how, like, how consistent he is because I thought it would have been hilarious. But um, yeah, Jarvis, to me, I've basically been approaching the Browns passing game as I'll take whoever's cheaper. And I knew for a fact that would be Jarvis Landry because one the other one's named Odell Beckham and he's just a name value guy. I, I just, I, I'm all the way out on Odell Beckham, so I have to be in on someone. And to me, it's, it's been Jarvis, especially if you play in a league. And a lot of my dynasty leagues are like this. If you use your eighth round pick and you play in a league where you have like three flex spots, like that's exactly the type of guy you want in those flex spots because it allows you to take risks elsewhere. If you have three flex spots and you have like guys like two guys like Julian Edelman and Jarvis Landry who are going to get you a consistent floor, you can throw Will Fuller in your other flex spot, right? And have some volatility there.
0: Yeah, no, it's an absolute steal. And use the PUP information to your best ability Uh, you got to reach out to the Jarvis Landry owner in your league and see what the price is or make it make a low ball offer and go from there because I genuinely think that almost no matter what you give for Jarvis Landry as long as you're a reasonable person and as long as the person you're trading with is a reasonable person um, you're definitely going to win on that side because like you were saying uh, if you're if you're in one of those leagues where you have those deep flex options and everything like that he's a complete steal and then even just even if you want to use him as your wide receiver too, he's still a complete steal. Like you're getting a legitimate wide receiver too uh, that late in the draft or for whatever cheap amount you're going to give uh, whoever in a trade. So Jarvis Landry is most definitely one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league. And he is definitely a firm buy. The last guy that I want to talk about here is actually a fun one. So I'm excited to bring up the living legend Larry Fitzgerald um, because He is arguably my favorite bi-low veteran right now. Now, he is a rental player because you probably are only getting one year out of him and I will fully admit that. But think about it this way. In 2019, Larry Fitzgerald was the wide receiver 34 overall in PPR and held over 11 points per game. He doesn't miss games. He's no longer gonna be the main focus for opposing defenses because DeAndre Hopkins is in town. And no one is going to ignore DeAndre Hopkins for ancient Larry Fitzgerald right now. And the best thing about Larry Fitzgerald is that he is almost literally free. You could probably trade a fourth round rookie pick to someone that has Larry Fitzgerald and it'll be appealing to them.
1: Like, it's just- You could trade LaMichael P. Ryan, who's the worst running back of all time and probably get Larry (laughs) Fitzgerald back.
0: Exactly. And it's, it's, it's so cool because I'm not saying you're going to use Larry Fitzgerald every single week. You're probably not. But the best thing about Larry Fitzgerald is that he is, there was not a single cheap player out there that I would rather have as a flex filler when my guys are on by, because he, like I was saying, he doesn't miss any games. He is consistently putting out those low end wide, wide receiver three numbers. Like he is, A very safe option in all forms of the word safe he is literally free and I just we we gotta we just gotta bring him back into relevancy man
1: (laughs) yeah and uh, I think this is the year that could bring him back into relevance and I, I probably I've heard a million people say it but no one actually like defines what that means you're gonna need depth this year people are gonna get COVID if the season even happens at all right and On a dynasty roster, you have 20, 25 bench slots. Larry Fitzgerald is the perfect guy if you have like three receivers that you kind of rotate in and out of flex spots based on matchup and stuff. And if two of them get COVID, you sub in Larry Fitzgerald and you're able to, to roll with that. And I think in games where DeAndre Hopkins is getting shadowed by Tredavious White or something, like that's the type of game you want to play Larry Fitzgerald in, right? Like it's going to be him, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins as the focal points of the passing game in terms of the receiver position. So it's pretty much just pick your poison. If, if DeAndre Hopkins has a bad matchup, that's the time you want to be playing Larry Fitzgerald. And yeah, that might only be six or seven games the whole year, but that's a lot more than what you're paying for him. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. And in 2019, it was Larry Fitzgerald's first time where actually no, he, he had literally 109 targets in 2019 he is 30, he was 36 years old in 2019. He's going to be 37 this year, and he's still working with 100 plus targets a year. He had 75 receptions last year, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind that at the very least, he's going to keep pretty similar numbers uh, with DeAndre Hopkins taking off all the pressure. So it's just, he's one of my favorite guys to go out and get right now, because it's, like I said, it's, it's peanuts. You are spending almost nothing, to acquire Larry Fitzgerald, and he is going to prove to be a much bigger asset than than you could possibly imagine this year.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: Um, but yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. You know, we had our we had our eight guys just there. Um, all of these guys are fantastic buy low candidates right now in your dynasty leagues. Uh, whether you are about to go into your startup and you're looking for a steal, um, given the current ADP, or you're just looking for guys to kind of play around with for the next year to two years even even three years and guys like Julio Jones's case um you know these these are great guys to go after because people are sleeping heavily purely based off of false narratives based around age their best years are behind them whatever these are the guys you want to go out make those lowball offers on and see what you can do
1: yeah agreed and uh if you guys haven't already uh Discord link is in the description. Join the discord. We always are talking dynasty in there, even though this is primary redraft focus time of year in August, we still talk about dynasty trades and dynasty startups and all that stuff. So make sure you're in there. Check out the draft guide as well. We have our dynasty rankings in there. If you're uh, more interested on uh, more of the young guys, cause we didn't get to talk about them today. Anything else before we get out of here? Thank you.
0: Pretty much covered everything. Uh, like I said, man, I am so pumped that I finally got on a video with you. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I said it to Danny last week when I was on the video, but I just, uh, I'm, I'm so pumped to be a part of the team, man, and uh, really get the dynasty going. For sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in and we will catch you next week.